Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Seated. I am so glad you made it here today. You guys excited to be here today? All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, man, I am so glad you made it. So glad you made it. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you look really good. You look really good. Well, uh, I am so glad you made it here this, this Sunday. And uh, I want to share just a few of my thoughts about what's happening right now in our nation. Uh, many of you, I think uh, Pastor Ken mentioned it before, uh, regarding Asbury College, we have a move of God happening in Kentucky. I like to think of it, I just, I, I like to think biblically about it. I think heaven is crashing into earth, and right now earth is Kentucky. And uh, if you don't know much about it, it it's, it's extraordinary. I think it's now a, a continuous 12-day worship service. It's just going and going and going and go, going. And the hallmarks of this move of God is just, it's really simple. How many of you love simplicity? Like, we, I think simplicity, simplicity is good. But the hallmark of this move of God, and my wife and I, we, we watched it. They have, they're live streaming it. And my wife, she, I just love how hungry she is for God. And, and it's getting, I'm getting, it's contagious. And I'm like, God, I, I want this. And we were transfixed for about an hour and a half, two hours, just watching this service. And uh, I'm thinking through it pastorally and biblically. And the hallmarks of this move of God is really simple. There's a lot of repentance. There's a lot of confession of sin and there's this deep sense of God's love. And young people are being transformed, so much so there's like, the auditorium can seat about a thousand people-ish and people are flooding into, or actually there's, there's, a, there's a line outside of the doors and people are trying to get in, there's a wait line. Um, people are actually bringing their mattresses so they can sleep. I mean, how many of you say that's hungry? How many of you want that kind of hunger? Like, you know what? I think we've normalized the callous heart in churches. And I was going to talk about a hard heart today. I'm going to talk about that next Sunday, but I really feel like I just need to give kind of a 10,000 foot perspective on what's going on. But what's amazing is that this revival is not determined by class or ethnicity or denominational boundaries or theological constructs, and theological constructs are really good. What we see is that charismatics are worshiping with Anglicans. And we see black students with white students singing about the Savior's love. I don't know about you, but that's, that's revival. <laughs> so God is moving in a powerful way in Asbury College. Thousands of young people are flooding the campus from all over the world. So my question for us today is, why can that not happen to us in our city and in our churches, in this time, right now, in our lives. And I guess I have to ask the question, do we actually want this? I think I just as your pastor, just because I, I, I said it earlier, if we're not careful, we can just go through the motions, we can get busy, we can be good people, we can build for God's kingdom, but do it without the presence of God. And guess what happens? That leads to spiritual exhaustion, and spiritual exhaustion and fatigue leads to a hard heart. So then your, your expectations of what God can do are severely reduced. And so you, you begin to manage a low level of faith. And if you're not careful, when you see someone who has a lot of passion and who, someone who has a lot of faith, because you don't have a lot of passion and you don't have a lot of faith, you start to get critical of them. Because you want to avoid spiritual growth. You see something that God is doing in someone else and you can't handle that God's not doing in that in you because your heart, I wasn't even planning on preaching this, but I feel like I need to preach it. 
but your heart has become calloused, desensitized to the voice, the living voice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No? Okay. That was for another church. We don't struggle with that here. Um, why can't it happen here? Why can't it happen now? It can't. We're living in a generational moment. It's a decisive moment. One scholar says this, that, that um, 70% of college freshmen will leave their faith. 10% of those who call themselves Christian, young people, that would be Generation Z. It's like, ah, 24, 25 and younger. Uh, 10% of those who would claim Christianity only have a basic understanding of what Christianity is all about. We're living in a generational moment of decline in the words of one pastor. And as your pastor, both Kel and I, as we lead this wonderful, beautiful church, I think we have the best church in the world. But as we, as we help lead and serve and be a part of this wonderful community, as we build for God's kingdom in this world, our desire is to be a church for the next generation. I want to be a healthy church. I, man, first service was a lot more awake than you were. And I, I, want to, I want to be a church where our young people grow up and they say, my church didn't hurt me. I got seven kids, guys. And I want them to, I mean, it's nuts, but I want them to grow up knowing that my, that I want them to say, my mom and dad love me. They didn't put the church before me. And because they, they set a really good example, I, I was a part of a wonderful, healthy church. I know the love of God. I want that for my children. I want that for your kids. We are a church, and, and I'm just going to say it, I, as, your, as the lead pastor of this house, my job is not to use you as a self-fulfillment project. I'm not an empire builder building my own kingdom, guys, using your affirmation of me to get self-actualized. Can I get an amen? I am leading because I am passionate and hungry for a move of God in a world that desperately needs Jesus. And my challenge for all of us is, are we, are we building our own empires? Are we building our own kingdoms? Are we more concerned about our dignity, our advancement, our self-importance? our achievement, our stuff, or are we concerned about what God is doing in this world? I want to be a church that is hungry to do God's will. So we're like, oh my God, what Sunday did I come to? So I want to be a church for the next generation. I want to be a church where young people are experiencing the presence of God in a real way. I'm getting to the point, I'm old enough, I know I look really young, but I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, you know what, talk is cheap, guys. The kingdom of God is not just in talk, but it is in righteousness, peace, and joy, and it is with power and full assurance and with the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't want to be a church, I, I, like, I, I'm just saying it, all right? I don't want to be a church where we talk good doctrine and we do good things and we have nice fellowship times without the manifest presence of Jesus. I believe in good doctrine. I think we need to be word people and we need to be spirit people. We're going to be word people. We're going to preach good doctrine. And I know some of you just don't like it. Sometimes when I get up and preach, he's like, oh, more, more doctrine. You need me, okay? I'm the stake. You just want ice cream. I'm giving you steak. Some of you are so shallow, you need to go deep. So don't. And then sometimes we need some ice cream, all right? And we need, oh, that, that analogy was going to go south. Bad analogy, all right? We all need to go deeper, I think. But we are called, God is calling us 
to go higher in our relationship with him. And I totally lost my train of thought, right? It's not no sleep and seven kids. But we are called to be a spirit church. We're called to be a word church so we could be a church for the world. Word, spirit, so we could be a church that reaches a world that desperately needs Jesus. Man, I wish people were more hungry for this. This is what our desire is as a church. One scholar says this. He insists that uh, right now, this was actually a couple years ago, but in our, our moment, our cultural moment, uh, that there is raw potential for profound renewal in the secular West. This is what he believes, and I believe him. He's a student of patterns of, of revival and great awakenings and moves of God. And this is what he says. People are more open to the possibility of change during transi- transition periods um, in their life. For example, you lose your dog. You have to change jobs. You go to a different city. You're an Eagles fan and you lose. Like all those horrible things. I am so glad the Eagles lost. Let's move on. Right? Dramatic life stuff happens to you. Guess what? You are more open to change. You are more open to metaphysics. You're more open to the reality of God's presence in his voice. Unstable times, I'll say this way as your pastor, unstable times are the seedbed for a move of God in our culture. So instability, everything from, just think about what we're experiencing today. Everything from national discouragement, everything from coming out of a crazy pandemic to the epidemic of anxiety. None of you know this, but teenagers now, a third of their life is defined and shaped by COVID. I mean, no wonder they're anxious, right? We have phones and COVID. It has dramatically and physically changed the structure of our brains and how we see the world. We have the deaths of despair. We've talked about that before. We have economic uncertainty. And all of this instability, if we think of it like this, tends to unfreeze unfreeze one's life and makes change possible. Makes transformation possible. So... I would like to suggest instead of saying we're all going to die and the church is in a state of decay and everybody's leaving and all chicken little, chicken little, right? Why don't we start saying if we believe this, instability is a time for great opportunity. What if we start to say, God, things are crazy. The Democrats are crazy. The Republicans are crazy. My church is crazy. My family's crazy. The economy's crazy. But God, you are about to do something really big. God uses chaos to unfreeze us. Gets us out of our bad, toxic, deformed rhythms that take us away from King Jesus. As Pastor Ken mentioned this a couple weeks ago, many of you here, I recommend you have to go back and listen to the podcast. That was the best message I've ever heard on a a move of God. And it was absolutely amazing. He talks about a Kairos time. Kairos time is not a charismatic word, okay? Kairos time is a very biblical word and it means a strategic time. Everyone say strategic. So Kairos means a strategic time. And I believe we are in a strategic time for renewal. We're seeing it in Kentucky. It's breaking out in different universities around Asbury College. I'm not familiar with the whole area, but God is, it's, trust me, it's not going to be contained in one location. God has a plan to do something fresh, to do a fresh act of grace in our generation. And you can't hold it back. You can't limit it. You can't say no. God is up to something powerful. But this strategic time for renewal, revival, awakening, whatever you want to call it, always follows. If you think of the patterns of revival, always follows a crisis. Always. If you look at the pattern of strategic times, 
when God pours out his love and grace in unusual ways, it always follows a catastrophe or it follows a state of the church that is in decline. So I want us to think of our moment not as a generational moment of decline, but a generation, generational moment of possibility. So we need to reframe our understanding of the times. What if the church is exactly with all the chaos, with all the chaos, with all the disorder, with all the, the national rancor, what if the church is exactly where God wants it to be? What if, guys, you were born for such a time as this? Guys, what if you are breathing oxygen right now, not because you're a cosmological fluke, not because you're some accidental person and you just, bam, you exist. What if God had designs for you in your mother's womb? What if he stitched you together? What if he put your personality together? What if he just took all of you and said, I'm going to make this person and they're going to think like this and they're going to have these resources and this talent and they're going to have this personality. I'm going to stitch their DNA together for this moment of decline because I'm going to work through them to bring great possibility and great renewal and great, great things for this hour and this age. No? I, the logic is sound. You were not born for the Neolithic period. Why? Because you weren't born then. You weren't born for the medieval period. You weren't supposed to be a knight in shining armor with a sword doing weird things, okay? You were born for this century. And I think so many times we lose this sense of purpose and we get distracted with the demand of things in our life. And our heart gets calloused to the purpose and the meaning of living right now. You are who you are, a son and daughter of King Jesus, forgiven by his grace through confession and repentance and your trust in him, you are now a part of a completely different kingdom. And you have been repurposed by the grace of God and renewed and healed. And then some of us have a lot more healing to go. I totally get that. Again, everyone said amen. amen. So that God can work through you to reach people who desperately need King Jesus. You think the way you think because God has designed that. Your personality. I'm not talking about the toxic stuff, right? We all have our weaknesses. I'm not talking about the weaknesses, but your strengths, the gifts that God has given you. Do you know sociologists say that every human being has at least 200 talents? So don't tell me I don't have any gift giftings or graces. No, 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 no. You have so much. And my desire, my desire is that God would unlock the possibility connected to the grace of Jesus. You hearing me? I'm not talking about get into yourself in a therapeutic way and just trust the inner urges of your desires and hearts. That is not a biblical way of seeing yourself. It's not a biblical understanding of anthropology. We know if we look deep down inside of ourselves, apart from God, we are nothing. Right? And if it wasn't for the grace of God, guys, we would be a mess. Some of you are like saying, I am totally a mess today. So what are you saying? Well, think if you didn't have the grace of God. You'd be way worse off, right? But we're all on a pathway of healing and transformation that is worked by the Holy Spirit. You were born for such a time as this. My dad, he would always say this. Remember, uh, he would tell us kids and he would tell the church, 
Remember, the night is always at its darkest before the dawn. Are we, at a, are we at a dark point in Western secular civilization? Yeah. But I think it's our greatest moment of opportunity. I think it's exactly where God wants us to be. Let me say this thought, and then I'm going to go to our teaching passage, and then I'm going to pray for you guys. I think really, please hear me, I think God has permitted our secular moment to run its full course. Some of you ask the question, have you ever thought to yourself after being on socials and you're like, oh my God, am I crazy or is the world crazy? What's going on here? I'm not going to get into all the different, you know, secular ideologies that have permeated uh, the, our, our national fabric or our consciousness. I've talked about that many times, but I think we're all like, okay, am I crazy? It's crazy out there. What's going on? Well, I think God is allowing the secular world to accumulate to run its full course so everyone can see how ugly it is to live without God. In our story here in out of, out of Luke chapter 15, we see this happening. The son has to go to the pig pen to get to his senses. And I think God is allowing the secular West to go all the way to the pig pen. And I think people are starting to wake up. Come on. Everyone say, wake up. Wake up. We're starting to wake up and, 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 and we're realizing that we cannot live without God. Without God, life is exhausting. Without God, life is chaos. Without God, life is absurd. Without God, there is no hope. Without God, there is no life. Without God, there's only scarcity. Without God, there's only disorder. So what if, as we reframe our understanding, what if the chaos that we're seeing, what if it's actually the scaffolding for revival, renewal, a great awakening? What if this is a decisive moment? What I, what, and I'm saying that rhetorically because I, 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 want you to, I want your hunger to be built up today. I want you to start hungering for this move of God that's, that started. We're at the beginning of it. I don't want you to miss it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled with God. This isn't like, I'm not talking about let's just burn ourselves out and let's just go for God and become exhausted and forget everything and there's no boundaries. or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, I just want to hunger for God's presence. I don't want to talk a good game and then in practice and in my life not work out the grace of God. I want our young people to experience the manifest presence of Jesus. I want, I want the Holy Spirit to move in our church and in our churches in a way that, yeah, might be a little bit unusual, but we're so passionate for Jesus and we're so passionate to reach people. Yeah, we're okay with some of the unusual stuff that's within the boundaries of orthodoxy. Can I get an amen to that? So we come to Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. We could also call it the compassionate father. Verses 11 and 12 we have introduced to us, Jesus introduces us to the compassionate father. He's a wealthy land, land owner, obscenely wealthy. He's Jeff Bezos, right? And so one day he's in his room, he's watching a, TV, a show. His son comes in, as Jesus tells us, and uh, says, dad, I, I, want, I want my wealth, or I want my estate, or another translation, I want my inheritance. So we don't know all the details, but we know that the father who loves his son says yes, finally, reluctantly, gives him his wealth, and then the son goes, as Jesus tells us, to a far away country. What's interesting here is that in this ancient setting, the ancient Near East, for a son to ask his father for his inheritance is analogous to saying, Dad, I want you dead. Inheritance was giving, given to the sons after the father was dead. Did this happen? Maybe a few times, but this would have been a rare, a rare indignity volleyed or directed towards the compassionate father. The son wants no relationship with his dad. The turning point in the story is illustrated in verses 13 through 17. It's a punchy. I love it. It's really punchy. It's just terse. It's just, Jesus just says it like it is. We find the son who spends all of his money. 
He wastes it. This is why he's called the prodigal son. Prodigal simply means he's wasting his wealth in his estate. He parties, he goes to Vegas, there's cocaine, there's just stuff, there's lights, there's music, there's everyone's like losing their minds, and then one day he has nothing. Everyone, all of his friends have left him, he's alone, and then we find in verse 14, I believe, a famine, Jesus tells us, takes place in the country. Because of that famine, he is reduced to begging for food and tending to pigs, What's so fascinating is that this pigs is the archetype within the purity world of Jesus, is the archetype for uncleanness. To tend pigs is the zenith of indignity in the purity world of Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is the son is at a place of absolute depravity, absolutely lost. And then we come to verse 17. He finally, again, this is the turning point of of the story, After he has left his father, he is in a distant country. His friends have left him. He he has done his own thing. He is now tending pigs. He finally comes to his senses. And he says these words, I have sinned against heaven and my father. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, and this is my whole point here today, how did he come to his senses? How? Right? Well, you ever wonder why the father didn't run after his son when his, when his son said, hey, dad, homeboy, I'm done in this relationship. Give me my money. And then he takes off, gets in the bends, and he rolls out of town, and he's living in a distant country. Don't you think the father would chase after him? Well, I think what Jesus is saying here is that, that the father is so sovereign that he can take even crisis and use it in a redemptive way. How does the son go from a son to tending pigs back to a son? I'm going to call it this. It's through the grace of experiencing a crisis moment. In other words, the crisis brought the son back to himself or back into insight it's he's famine he has nothing everything he thought that was going to work for him and bring fulfillment is gone it's in that moment that he turns back to himself and begins to see the grace and the love that he had at home father I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my own father. What is that? What is he doing? He is repenting. He's confessing his sin. Again, the hallmark of any move of God is repentance and confession of sin. The, the Hebrew word for, for repentance is shub, and it means to come back. It means to turn around. The Greek version is metanoia. It means to go beyond the mind that you have. One scholar says repentance is the radical recognition of God. In other words, repentance is the deep transformation of your assumptions, your perspective, your way of thinking, your world level view assumptions about life and about reality. It's you saying yes to God, to his word, his promises, his law, his goodness, and saying no to the way you thought was the best way. That is the heart of repentance. Repentance, in other words, is not you changing yourself. Many people think that repentance is you changing yourself and coming to God. No, God's going to change you. There's a beautiful passage, and I I can't break this down expositionally here today, but there's a beautiful passage in all four Gospels, all three Gospels, these synoptic Gospels, that says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So change is different than repenting. Repenting is not changing your lifestyle first. Repenting is the deep transformation of saying, God, your definition of reality, I say yes to. And when you turn to God in repentance, God, you're right, I'm wrong. That's when the Holy Spirit and, in, and through confession, 
That's when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to change your deepest desires and changes your deepest longings and, and begins to take your misdirected passions and he refires new passions. Come on, somebody, and new desires. And sometimes it's a process and sometimes God does it miraculously. Some of you, how many of you have had an addiction in your life and you, you turn to God and you said, God, yes, and to yourself, no, and all of a sudden that addiction broke. How many of you have experienced that before? Look at all the hands. Now, let's also be honest. How many of you turned to God and you said yes to him and some of your addictions didn't all go away? Come on. We all have that. So sometimes God miraculously works in you and sometimes he just gradually works in your life. This is a big fancy word. We call it sanctification, right? It's the work of the Holy Spirit reforming your mind, your heart, all of your faculties, everything that makes you, you, your whole person. Can I get an amen to that? So the son repents and confesses his sin. He comes back. Verse 20 is about ready to land this plane. He says this, um, the son says, I've sinned. He heads back to the house. I love this picture of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is not. Many people think repentance is writing repent and go to hell on a poster and then screaming at people. Right? I see it so it's it's weird. It's like is is that going to change any hearts? Maybe, but I think mostly no, right? Many of us think that it's a weird caricature of repentance like we're like repent or you're going to go to hell. Like it's my WWE voice. I love it. I love it more than you love it, okay? Apparently. It's just like we get, and when we think of when we think of repentance, we think of depression, or we get depressed, or we think of a heavy word. No, repentance is like you're going back home, guys. You're seeing the light for the first time or the second time. You're saying yes to God and his definition of what it means to be human, his definition of what it means to flourish, to live the abundant life, right? And you come under that. So the son is heading back home. I love this. Again, it's really punchy. The father's response goes like this. The father saw his son from a long way off. I love this. Phil, I remember you told me a story. Remember that was like 15 years ago. I preached this message and you shared a wonderful story about, I don't know if it was your daughter, I don't know who it was, but it was a girl lost in the ocean. She was actually snorkeling. And you can correct me um, if I'm wrong, but she was snorkeling and um, she got lost. She was a little bit disoriented. And because of the currents of the ocean, she had um, traveled about a half a mile down um, the ocean or down the ocean. the shore. And so she looks up and she could not figure out where she was at. And I don't know all the different circumstances, but I don't know if it was you, Phil, or if it was another father who could not find his daughter. So he runs to um, the lifeguard and asked if he could see, he described his daughter and the lifeguard said, you don't have to worry about it. I've been watching her the whole time. She was disoriented. She was lost. She was prodigal. She couldn't find her way back home. But the lifeguard, don't worry, I got it. I've been watching her. I love this picture because it's the father who watches us even when we're disoriented. Guys, he knows exactly where you're at, even though you don't know where you're at. He knows where so many young people are at. Yeah, making dumb, dumb. I have seven kids and they make dumb decisions every day. (laughs) And there's so many young people in our generation. Yeah, they make dumb decisions, but guys, guess what? God's gonna do something in them so big and so powerful. Why? Because God sees them. Are they lost? No. God knows where they're at. Yes, they are, but you hear what I'm saying, but they're not. Yes, they're lost, but they're not because the Father sees them from a long ways off. Some of you, I want to encourage you, you've been praying for a son and daughter for a long time. I, I want you to know that God sees them and that he hasn't forgotten about your child that you've been praying for to come back to Jesus? Who knows, could it be this year that they come back to Jesus? 
this culture that we're living in, can God do something? Can God so transform our young people and fire new passions and new desires in their heart as the church wakes up to the power and the presence and the love, the overwhelming love of the Father? Absolutely. And as God begins to work through the church, I believe God's going to do something powerful in our world. So the Father sees him from a long way off. Number two, again, it's really punchy. Um, it says, the text reads that the heart of the father just, it went out to his son. It went out to his son. And then it says that the father ran and hugged his son. It, it, it literally reads, he kissed his neck, right? Many commentators, when they, when they, when they make their observations of this um, moment, the father's running and grabs the son and kisses him. They usually kind of say, well, this is, in the ancient world, it's a sign of indignity. The father would never do this. This shows us the love of the father. And I agree with that. But I think there's something more going on. In the ancient Near East, if a son um, volleys or levels an indignity like this against his father and leaves the, the local village and then comes back, the village has a responsibility in proxy for the father to take the son, bring him into the center, pronounce judgment and condemnation, and then stone him to death. You know what I think is happening? I think the father is running to get to his son in order to protect him. The son turns to his father, realizes the indignity of saying, Dad, I want you dead. I don't care about you. I'm going to do my own thing. And then he turns in repentance and confession. He's walking back. Just, I just love it. The father sees him from a long ways. His heart leaps out for him. And then he runs to grab his son before anybody can condemn him. And then what does the father do? Or excuse me, the son do while he's in his father's arm? He looks to his father and he's weeping. I can't imagine this moment. And he says, Father, I'm just unworthy. I'll just be your servant. And the father's like, no. what? You're my son. You were dead. Now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. This is the heart of God. And I think so many of you, like some of you need to hear this today. You, you're so haunted by your past. You've confessed your sin. You've repented. But the past is like a, a specter that haunts you. And you come to God and it's, it's, it's impaired your relationship with him. And you just, in your heart of hearts, you're telling God, even on Sundays or even when you go and read your Bible, you tell God, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Because you're so focused on your past. Your past has become some active thing that shapes how you think about your relationship with God. And it's your father in heaven who is saying, no, 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 no. Stop that talk. You're not going to be my servant. Not going to be my servant. In fact, here's a robe, here's some sandals, here's a ring, because you're my son. We're family. This is the heart of God directed to our city, to our culture, to people who don't know him into us. He loves us with an everlasting love. Guys, this next move of God is going to be shaped by a profound sense of God's overwhelming love. We're going to know the love of God like we've never known before. I want you to open up your hearts to the possibility that maybe you need to go deeper in understanding the multifaceted dimensions and depths of God's love for you. And everyone said, amen. amen. Are you still with me? Yep. So this is the point that I'm, I, I, I want to make. I want to make it very clear. I think I've made it clear enough. But how did the son go from being a son to a pig guy back to a son? It was crisis. What happens in the story? What's the turning point in the story? How did the son become who he was? It was through a crisis moment. And the crisis set into motion 
the non-negotiable factors for change and renewal and restoration of relationship. We are in a crisis moment. Things have been crazy. Can I get an amen to that? Things are, it's, it's nuts out there. I get it. But we, I want you to see it now. We are in a great moment of opportunity. The story ends open-ended. Jesus doesn't end it. It's just, it's kind of a stark ending because he wants you to ponder. Who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like the compassionate father or the elder son? I can't get into the whole story. The elder son, but the elder son rages, is critical of his brother who wasted everything. He pouts, he stomps his feet. He's like, just kick him out. What are you doing, dad? Like, I've, I've been so faithful, right? And Jesus is using this as an indictment against the Pharisees. And he's trying to illustrate, guys, what is more important, being like the compassionate father or like the elder son who criticizes and levies judgment against people that don't reflect maybe the patterns and beliefs or the constructs that we have embraced. Let me tell you something really quick. This move of God that is breaking out will bring people to the church that don't share your political beliefs and don't share your lifestyle and don't share whatever, right? They're going to come to the church dysfunctional and messed up and they still might have some hardcore beliefs, but they're going to be desperate and they're going to want to know King Jesus. And we're in that decisive moment. What kind of church do we want to be? In this moment of, of crisis where people are starting to wake up to the love of God and his grace, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a compassionate church? We will speak the truth. We're not, please, let's stop playing that game where we divide up God and his word, right, and his nature. Like God is only compassionate or God is only truthful. No, God is compassionate and he's also a God of truth, right? But are we going to be the compassionate father who embraces those who are messed up? Or are we going to be like the elder brother that just criticizes them and criticizes a move of God and gives, goes on Twitter or some social, none, none of you are on Twitter, so uh, TikTok or whatever, Instagram, right? And you give your hot take on what's happening uh, at Asbury College and you start criticizing everything from 5,000 miles away and you think you, WWE voice, just go with me. And you think you know everything, right? Or are we going to be like the father who embraces those who turn to Jesus? Guys, guess what? And this is, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've shared this so many times before. But the church is going to get messy in a good way. Can I get an amen? Why? Because mess is a sign of life. My seven children, they are nincompoops. They go outside. They get in mud. They chase wild animals, sort of. They try to farm. I'm making stuff up. And what do they do? They come inside and they drag in all their dirt. My wife and I have a responsibility to clean them up. What do we not do? We don't kick them back outside and criticize our three-year-old for getting dirty. No, we embrace it. We clean them up. We bring them inside and we treat them with compassion. Guys, if you don't have a messy house every now and then, it's a sign that there's no life at your house. If our church isn't messy at times, is there life? Jesus' ministry was a social nightmare. It just broke against and went against the grain of how people saw God should move. I want us to be open. Not, we're not going to be gullible. We're going to test everything. Guys, I'm sorry. You have me as your pastor. I overthink everything. (laughs) Trust me. If you guys get weird, I'm coming after you. All right. (laughs) Or you get outside the boundaries of orthodoxy. Come on. We'll put you in a loving way. We'll punch you in the face and we'll bring you. I'm kidding. No, we would never do that. We would never do that. Bring you back into relationship. Guys, this is a healthy place to be. 
We're not, we're not a perfect place, but we're a healthy place. So what kind of church do we want to be? Compassionate church that embraces those who turn to Jesus or a critical church. See, guys, this is as I close here, I'm going to pray for us. I want to commission you today, commission you to what God is doing right now. But we are living in a transfer moment. We're living in a decisive generational moment. It's a moment of opportunity. This is our 40th year as a church. 40 is just, it's a significant number in the Bible. It's a crossover time. This is, we're now in the 50th year of the height of the Jesus people movement. It's a, it's a Kairos moment. And I want you to get hungry. I want you to, I want you to be a part of what God is doing. I want you to see all that God has for you, for you. And I want us to be a church for the next generation. I'm tired of, of the church just building its own empire. I'm tired of people just doing their own thing, good people, but doing their own thing without the presence of God. I don't know, I don't want our messages without the presence of God. I don't want our worship without the presence of God. I don't want our, our, our instruction, our fellowship, our, our helping, our volunteering, um, our mission, our evangelism to be without the presence of God. Guys, we need the presence of God. No more talk, no more talk, no more talk. It's more life change. It's more just being open up to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our hearts and our minds for the next generation. I've been crying a lot lately, and I'm not a crier, okay? You're a crier. <laughs> but I've been praying. For young people, my heart, it's like, I, I'm, I'm a fighter. How many fighters do we have here? Like, when I see something wrong, I just like, oh! And I'm realizing that fight in me when I see something wrong in our culture, behind it is love. I just have so much love for young people that God has put in my heart. And I'm just, I'm, I'm believing that God is gonna do something powerful in this generation. And I'm, I'm ripping, as I close, I'm going to pray for you, I'm ripping off another pastor, but I think it's time to hand off the baton to the next generation. It's, it's time, if you're over 30, to pass that baton to, yes, God still is going to do an incredible work in your heart, but we have a responsibility to build for the kingdom of God for the next generation. Young people need Jesus. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes as the kids come in on perfect timing? Could you close your eyes? Father, I just thank you that you would give us your heart for people. Oh, we want to be like the compassionate Father. I thank you that you would do a deep work in. in the life of this church. Lord, our hearts are just open to whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say. I thank you for your, your presence today. We no longer want to build for your kingdom without your grace, without your presence, without your life, without your power. Holy Spirit, just come and fall on your people today. Do it in a fresh way. Lord, we thank you for the move of God that's taking place among young people. And we bless our young people in Jesus' name. Thank you for your grace. Church, could you stand up? We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to pray for a couple people. Is this okay? 
Did I embarrass you? Okay. I embarrassed myself, okay? How many of you want a, a big heart for, for Jesus and for people? I, I do. Just, man, I, I want to be like the compassionate father. Come on in, guys. Perfect time. Let's do this. As you guys come up, we're going to sing a song. The worship team is going to lead us into this song. I love this song, and I think it's, it's the perfect song for a moment. So if this is your church, could you just lift up your hands? If not, you don't have to lift up your hands. I don't want to pressure anybody. Let's just, as we lift up our hands, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.